0: Palatable. 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 It's Friday, May 17th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, a master's student in civil engineering and uh, Xenos version of Thor.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean... (laughs) It's not wrong. It's not
0: wrong. I think it's spot on, actually. Yeah. Uh, with me today, you heard her already, is Molly Quell, contributing editor and Eurovision stroopwafel terrorist.
1: I did not write these job titles, clearly.
0: No, but I think that's also It's, it's also, also spot on. Spot on. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Our third regular host, Gordon Derrick, is, uh, well, he he will be joining us for the discussion, but he's uh, currently not with us. He is also superannuated. He's a superannuated gym bunny. He wrote this
1: thing, not not Uh, I.
0: I do not know what this refers to, though. It refers
1: to the fact that he um, has been going to physiotherapy for his Herniated back disaster situation, and that they've been making him do all kinds of like old people stretches basically (laughs) to try to improve what's going on. and I suspect that he looks and feels ridiculous while he does it, which he deserves, but yeah, he
0: deserves it, definitely. But I I assume that he just takes uh, another uh, physiotherapist every day because there are so many, there's so many, there's so many where he can. I
1: assume that he stops like three times on his way to the physiotherapist at other physiotherapists' offices. (laughs) (laughs) because there's just so many along the way.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he just needs the physiotherapy to continue to his actual... Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. But Molly, Eurovision strobe-waffle terrorist, what is this about?
1: Well, I think it's a combination of two things that I've been up to this week. Uh, One is watching and live-tweeting my experience (laughs) of Eurovision, which is... A special, special, special thing. that
0: Europe is beyond repair.
1: Europe is beyond repair. Um, If we didn't already know that from Brexit, we'd definitely (laughs) know that after the Icelandic submission.
0: Yes, yes.
1: Um, So I've been enjoying watching Eurovision. Do Do
0: you have a favorite?
1: uh i think i mean i kind of want iceland to win because it's so ridiculous i voted yesterday for croatia you
0: voted you voted i you... voted and i, I voted think you were for... the, the first person i actually met who voted at the i, Eurovision I voted
1: and i voted for croatia because i am chaotic evil and croatia was so ca- terrible and campy and over the top but they didn't make it it through. was this
0: guy wasn't it was it? the
1: angel wings guy oh the angel wings yeah. guy yeah
0: of course i uh, i watched uh, as well and i also live tweeted on Tuesday it was awful. Yeah. I, I don't think I've ever seen anything that's so, so bad.
1: bad. It was so bad. It
0: was it was no, it was it, you know you, you they started with uh, well, Cyprus Cyprus which yeah. had
1: like a BDSM theme yeah. weirdly and then like four acts later we got to the actual BDSM act and yeah. I was like did Cyprus like forget their costumes and they just borrowed some stuff from Iceland yeah.
0: and, and and on, on Thursday were, there was more BDSM themed yes. uh, uh, performances as well um, no but on Tuesday it was it was horrible San Marino was...
1: was I think the worst and they have made it through to the <laughs> finals which is absurd
0: but they they uh, this is like the third or the
1: fourth time that this guy yeah. performs for San Marino you know, and he's this Turkish. He's yeah. a Turkish TV presenter. He's not even from San Marino. <laughs> Belarus made it for like. I mean, she was. She couldn't even sing on <laughs> K. But nobody you know, can. nobody needs to sing on K. And and
0: and and on these evenings, you see you see a country. Uh, passing by and you think is this an actual country yeah. does this place exist yeah
1: yeah azerbaijan is a real place yeah um but at least they can sing on key so that was nice
0: yeah but i think um i think the netherlands has a very uh big chance of winning the uh the competition yeah which is saturday which is
1: kind of disappointing because i mean i do i like the song i, I think and i think he's a nice performer but like it's kind of boring I yeah mean, you it's think just, it's boring i think it's boring okay
0: yeah i think yeah i see i see what yeah. you mean uh, I see what you mean. I, I did like Sweden though. I think if yeah. if if the Netherlands doesn't win, then I think I, I hope Sweden I will win. I think Sweden.
1: Yeah, Sweden is a favorite. I quite liked Armenia last night who didn't make it through to the final rounds, but oh. I also liked them. And I have to say I like Cyprus's song for the first one, and they did make it through. So I guess we will uh, we'll see on Saturday. Yes,
0: and you are a strobewaffel terrorist because
1: I went to Gordon's book reading uh, in Amsterdam yesterday, <laughs> which was horrific. Um, and of course, I took stro- lavender strobe waffles, and then As insisted that everyone that came and all of the staff members at the ABC try them. And everyone concluded that they're awful. And it's okay, true, they that's true. That's good. They, yeah. I,
0: I, I'm 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 glad that you're spreading the word. I am. I'm spreading. You're the word. like you're like a Jehovah's Witness, but yep, then with the lavender uh, ha- strobe waffles and how awful they are. Yeah. Yes.
1: Uh, and so why are you uh acting out your uh superman fantasies yeah. paul
0: um i went on an excursion i think it was on tuesday yeah and we went to a building site in rotterdam they were building like a, a in in for net, for dutch terms it is a skyscraper yeah. but in in international terms it's just a low rise building and uh so we went upstairs to the 22nd floor i think and uh yeah we were touring the the building site and all of a sudden i saw this enormous hammer laying around so i grabbed it and someone took a photo of it and uh i don't watch these movies but apparently uh, a lot of people uh uh, mentioned thor of the avengers series yeah because um, he has a giant hammer because he has a giant hammer and uh, gordon did as well but i pointed out that he wasn't very uh uh, uh, that it was like the 10th the person who made this joke and this reference. But uh, that that's fine. That's, that's fine. fine. So, um, yeah, I'm the Xenos version, like the low, the low, low budget, dra, budget version, version of yeah, Thor. The Zeman
1: version. The Zeman
0: version. The, the Vibra solo,
1: version. The solo version. The
0: solo, yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like that.
1: So you're back this week Paul we missed you.
0: Yeah. So you can read your own op Oh. Yeah. So I...
1: tell us about uh our, our the Dutch news podcast favorite op <sighs> generator and what he's done this week.
0: <laughs> yeah, I have to say I try to avoid Yeah. This particular person, because yeah. he generates so much mm-hmm. uh at the point that it is almost uh, tiring, actually exhausting. Yeah. But this week, it was a very low uphef week. So yeah. uh, I had no other choice because while campaigning for the European elections, Prime Minister uh, and VVD leader Mark Rutte um, challenged Forum for Democracy leader Cherry Baudet for a one-on-one televised debate. Yes. Um Rutte said in his speech, quote, Baudet is taking an irresponsible risk with our security, stability, and prosperity by favoring Nexit. Um, and that is the Dutch version of, of Brexit, Brexit. Which, which is me-
1: going so well. I totally understand why the Netherlands wants to do that.
0: Exactly. Uh, he also said this nonsensical idea was written down by an armchair philosopher with a quill feather by flickering candlelight. But this is not how the real world works. And he refers, of course, to the image, uh, Thierry pictures of himself, of this smart, brilliant person who writes these novels.
1: My favorite part of this Alpaf was the extended discussion that we had this morning in the WhatsApp group about how one translated uh, (laughs) a particular word. So maybe you can tell our listeners how that experience was.
0: Um, Yeah, the word Margrette used in Dutch was zolderkamer geleerde, which means like zolder is an attic.
1: Yeah, so attic, room, learned learning learned pe- learned, learned person, person. Yeah, yeah yeah yeah
0: but yeah how do you yeah. translate this and uh, so we debated yeah, this we debated, but there but is this. a
1: term in in english called armchair philosopher yeah which, or armchair whatever armchair psychiatrist I, armchair uh, economist all of those yeah, things yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah
0: so it's uh it's uh, it, yeah i think it's uh it covers the <laughs> the meaning but yeah. i think zolder geleerde is a better word i
1: agree I, it may take over as from ophef as my favorite really, word. i really oh, like wow. it it's fun
0: at least it's OPF-related. Yeah, so it's OPEF uh, related yeah. Yeah. But um, Baudet accepted the invitation. Um, and in a video on Twitter, he could be seen signing copies of his own books, including several on the European Union, because he's actually, you know, he, have his, he has his PhD on in, the European Union. Yeah. So he's not exactly an armchair yeah. philosopher. He knows something about it. Um, and uh, yeah, he delivered them personally to Mark Rutte. Um, Baudet wants the debate to be broadcast on Facebook because he doesn't trust... Uh, Public Broadcaster, NOS which is very uh, in character. Yeah. And, uh, um, but Mark insisted it should be on television. Uh, the campaign teams of the VVD and the Forum for Democracy are now discussing how and when the debate can take place.
1: Uh, there's already all puff about this all pef. Yes, It's terrible. Yeah.
0: And uh, the VVD social media team and the Forum for Democracy social media, media team, they were all sending these photos and these awful jokes yeah. to each other. Yeah, All these memes.
1: I think if this debate takes place, we need to agree to do a live tweeting Maybe live podcast experience of this debate. (laughs) Oh,
0: maybe we should do that. I think we should. Yeah, yeah, we should.
1: So Gordon's going to pop back in for a minute to talk about our uh, Patreon sponsors. So Gordon, who is backing us this week?
2: We got three new Patreon backers uh, why? this week. Why
1: do you people like I us? Don't I don't know why but people please, like us so Please much, do, but... because we're having so many technical problems. Really <laughs> we're having massive morning. technical
2: problems this week. But, uh, yeah. So thank you very much to Vegard Lugnes, first of all, from uh, Bodo in Norway. I hope I've pronounced all those words right. Uh, now lives in Bergen, uh, which is also in Norway. Why
1: does he Norway. listen to us if he's just like a Norwegian living in Norway?
2: Uh, I think uh, not quite sure but uh, uh, Vigard is one of our longest serving lessons wow. has been listening to us since before the 2017 election and we which, only, is,
1: which is when the podcast got very big we only
2: started in uh, like end of January that yeah. year Yeah. so yeah that was when it, we, we first made an impact so yes yeah, so thank you for staying with us for staying the course and I hope you continue to listen to us for many many months to come
1: no <laughs> not much to do uh, near the arctic circle I guess well yeah
2: but Bodo is just inside the arctic circle but uh, nevertheless has quite a benign climate it gets up to 30 degrees Wow. Yeah, some in exceptional circumstances. Yeah. So, so yeah. Uh, and a very, very pretty place as well. Yeah. Very yeah, nice. I've been there. It's yeah. very nice. So, and then and also, uh, yeah, one of the. Uh, windiest places in Norway but not as windy as um, Robin Sheets' hometown he's another one of our uh, new sponsors and he's from Wellington in New Zealand wow which is a, apparently the windiest city in the world
1: okay does he want New Zealand to participate in Eurovision
2: I think we should have yeah, this is yeah. a question. our question to you Robin is uh, yeah, should New Zealand go head to head with Australia yeah. in the Eurovision song contest I would be right should. up for that
1: I would be up for that
2: yeah um, he moved to Amsterdam three years ago okay well that uh,
1: explains maybe why he's listening
2: yeah and so hopefully it's a bit less windy there well, it'll have to be. Yeah. Um, so thank you very much to you and also to Gary Blissard from Ithaca in New Another York. lovely city. Yeah, another lovely city, famous for its waterfalls. Yeah, it's really. very pretty. Yeah, so, that's nice. so thank you again to Gary. The only person who had a question for us was Vigard who asked, what's each of your ideal coalitions both in your home country and the Netherlands?
1: Um, well, the US has no coalitions. No. so you don't. I have, you I have no answer for that. Um, here <laughs> in the Netherlands, I mean, I think this question is... It could go two ways. I mean, I think that there's a serious answer, which is, is that, like, my personal political alignment would probably be something like Dei Sese and Partai van So fairly, like, left-wing leaning. Yeah,
2: with maybe a, sort of, uh, a little soupçon of fefe day in there as well. Yeah,
1: I mean, like, the in my ideal coalition, the veve Dei would participate like the Christian Uni does in the current coalition. I think that that would be fine. Yeah. That would be good.
2: And is partai von and just Truby's vote there? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Okay.
1: Um, In... For entertainment purposes, for this podcast, I think we could all agree that what we would like is like a five-tig-plus SP, SGP, Forum for Democracy Coalition, and that would be endlessly entertaining.
2: Yeah, it would. That would be non-stop op very yeah. of a uh, great... Yeah, I tend to think it's, it's kind of weird because you have more than a dozen political parties, and yet actually the number that gets into government is very, very small. small. It's almost always... There's a quartet, basically, of uh, which is the Sadia, the... PFDA, the VFD, and d And And coalitions are almost always made up of a combination of those four, sometimes with one or two very small minor parties like the Christian Uni chucking in. So in practical terms, probably an ideal coalition just in terms of political experience and being being able to knowing the system and getting things done, you would know, certainly put in, uh, and uh, maybe it'd be nice to see someone else having a turn like Hoon links, yeah. who seem to have a fairly good pedigree now in the last five ten years. Um, and have done things in local government. Uh, yeah, but again, yeah, that's a sensible answer. The, uh, uh as yeah as someone who follows the news it would be uh yeah ex- um, extremely interesting to see if, FV, if FVD got into government what on earth they would do or if anyone would actually work with them uh, uh, i, I mean, suspect I, much, yeah. Or, or, or yeah or part like the uh, part like the S P, or the van de um yeah what, what on earth would go on uh, would go on so there.
1: what would be your ideal coalition for you personally
2: i think a Dutch coalition is always a kind of um Left-right combinations, so probably of of the um, right-wing parties, the De are the kind the of most sensible and uh, most uh, um, uh, effective. So maybe them in combination with and links. Yeah. yeah, that'd be a good coalition. This,
1: yeah.
0: this week we've got some unpalatable news about drink, drugs, and meat paste. Plus, we'll bring you up to speed with the return of the Dutch Grand Prix, a changing of the guard in the coalition, and next week's public transportation strike. In our discussion, we're looking ahead to next week's European elections and asking who really gives a stuff. Do you? It turns out nobody. No, nobody. I
1: can't vote. I'm not European.
0: Oh, so you don't? You, you really don't I care. I really don't care. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Gordon can vote two times, isn't it? Gordon
1: can vote twice. I tried to talk Gordon into giving me... Uh, His other ballot, but he has declined because apparently it's a felony. Yeah, (laughs) who cares? I mean, come on.
0: The leader of the Christian Democrat Party, Sibrand Buma, is stepping down to become mayor of Leeuwarda. Buma has been leader of the CDA for the last nine years and brought the party back into government in 2017. He's taking over as mayor from Labour politician Fred Kroner, who is quitting to take a seat in the new Senate. A native Frisian whose full name is Siebrand van Haarsma Buma. Did of course does? Did you know this? No, I did not. Uh, can you, uh, uh, I n- do now. Next week, I will ask you, and uh, you'll have to try to remember his name. Okay. Um, he's following in the footsteps of his father, who is mayor of Workham and Snake, also to a uh, very beautiful Towns. I've
1: been to both of them.
0: Really? Yes. And
1: where his grandfather was mayor.
0: Oh, his grandfather was also mayor. Yeah, yeah. in Stavoren. Yeah. I read now from the script. I did not know that. Yeah. Um, he said, I was born and raised in Friesland. It's a job in a city, a municipality, and a province that's very close to my heart.
1: Only a Dutch politician could say a municipality is close to his heart. <laughs> This is true. Do we yeah. know who's going to uh, replace him yet?
0: Uh, as the CDA leader, yeah. um, no. Uh, there are some frontrunners, uh, and these seem to be Wopke Hoekstra and Hugo de Jonge as party leaders.
1: So Wopke Wolf- Hoekstra of the speech last week in, on Germany. Yes, he's fame. the finance minister. Yeah, and, and uh, Hugo de Jonge of the famous shoes.
0: And of the famous shoes, yeah. yeah. Oh, you you know them well. Yeah. You know them well because of the shoes and because they're a, German. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. Well,
1: ho- uh, Hoekstra was just in the news for this hmm. German speech. But that's that's yeah. why you know him. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, But these are, of course, ministers, so yeah. they can't take over his uh, position as the leader in the Tweede Kamer. Right. So, yeah, he also has to give up his seat in Parliament. And the candidates for the, for the new group leader are Pieter Heerma, Mona Keizer, and Raymond Knops. Mm-hmm.
1: Not people I've ever
0: heard of. I I've never heard of Peter Heerma, hmm. Mona keiser I know, and um, Raymond Knops. They are both in the cabinet yeah, as Mona well. Yeah, Mona
1: Kops is in the cabinet as well. Yeah, yeah, I think maybe I maybe you're right. Maybe I've
0: heard of her. Yeah, so yeah, they they're gonna have to to resign him, as junior yeah. ministers yeah. if they if they want to take over his uh, mm-hmm. uh, his position.
1: And what's what's his legacy, Paul? For for his, I mean, he's been in there for nine years as a leader of Sadea. I mean, where where has where does he leave cda
0: Sibon Bouma here arrived at a difficult time. It was in 2010. Um, the CDA had two successive uh, big elections to feed. And they were also scarred with the so-called Gedoog accord. It was yeah. this coalition between the CDA and the VVD. And they needed extra seats to have a majority in the Tweede Kamer. So they asked the PVV, the Geert Wilders Party, to gedoog them, to sort of... Uh, I, I I never know what, what yeah, how to translate. Yeah, I mean, not quite though.
1: support them, but sort of like tolerate them or tolerate endorse them. them endorse maybe. them, yeah.
0: So they supported them in 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 Parliament to get uh, enough seats uh, to 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 pass legislation. But uh, you know, this coalition um, uh, it broke at some point after yeah. two years uh, of, the, of of uh, of the coalition, and uh, yeah, it really scarred the CDA and also the VVD, but especially the CDA. Yeah. And Sibron uh, Buma vowed never to work together with the PVV ever again. Yeah. But Simon Buma, he co- sort of steered the party to the right. He was more of the right wing of the party. Uh, he was much more conservative than uh, than 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 the party was before. Um, and in
1: particular on immigration, right? Yeah, yeah. It's
0: particularly in, in immigration and also on 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 cultural stuff. Yeah. So he famously, for example, proposed to uh, have children uh, sing the Wilhelmus uh, right. at the start of the Did of he the, of want the school them to day. sing
1: all seventeen thousand verses of the Wilhelmus? <laughs> I think only the first and the um, second. And the first and the second one no the okay. first and the sixth the first and the seventh seventh
0: no I think it's the sixth. Oh, sixth also weird we sing We most of the time we sing the first uh, verse and then sometimes and the the first sixth. thing
1: you guys do is name check Germany and Spain I mean, <laughs> exactly. it makes no sense
0: it's a, it's a weird weird anthem yeah. I agree um yeah, and he was much more hardline on immigration as you mentioned uh, but he also had a reputation for uh for very yeah he was very humorous, yeah, he had like uh, a
1: sort of understated kind of sense of humor so yeah dry. exactly.
0: we called it uh, Bumor
1: boomer well, yeah. that's a good one.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, there were some tensions uh, with the party rank, and there was also uh, a file over the Kinderpardon, which forced him to charge course and to take the cabinet with him. Uh, it's interesting to see uh, if the new leader will r- maintain the same sort of more right wing uh, party line, or if they will move much more to the to the center. Because yeah. before Sibro Boomer uh, took over, we also we also thought that the CDI was like the center party; they yeah. were in the middle of the political yeah. spectrum. But since puma took over they moved much more to the right and if you see like diagrams more modern diagrams of, of the parties in the uh, political spectrum then they place the say yeah, much more to the right much yeah. closer to the favor day yeah. so yeah it will be interesting to see uh what the new leader will do
1: yeah um so we're halfway point in the coalition and we've got we've lost two leaders already yeah that's uh that's interesting because Alexander pechtold has also stepped down from de stack or this happened to- the, like two years ago? A year ago? Uh,
0: a couple of months ago he stepped down. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it was always rumored before the elections that if Alexander Pertrude wouldn't become the prime minister or at least get a cabinet position, then he would just quit politics. Yeah. And that's exactly, exactly what, what he, he did. did. Uh, and it wasn't, or at least not that I'm aware of, it wasn't uh, uh, like known that uh, Puma had like the same atten- intentions. Yeah. In retrospect, if anything uh, would have happened, then becoming a mayor of some sort of Frisian town, and especially Leoparder, uh, would 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 take him out of the Hague i think that was a very logical step yeah. it is pretty unprecedented that such a high ranking pol- political leader steps down and then immediately goes to his new new job usually they take like some sort of sabbatical or they take some rest for a couple yeah. of years and then become a mayor or a senator um, yeah. senator or something like that so that's 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 an interesting move um but yeah i i didn't hear anything about him his plans on becoming a mayor or anything until yeah. yesterday, when it was announced,
1: I wonder if it's one of those things where you know he was. It's always good to leave on a high note, and say that in a much better situation than it was when he came in, and that you know someone cr- in Leawarda in the provincial assembly was like, oh, you know, it would be nice if Booma was the mayor, and like mentioned it to him, and he was like, that's not a terrible idea. Let's yeah, do that. Yeah,
0: he's not he's not leaving while the party is in yeah, in some crisis. sort of crisis or anything. So yeah, that's uh, if there is any any time to go, then I think this is the best one. Yeah, yeah. I agree.
1: Enschede's mayor has described an attack on a Syrian refugee family by a gang of locals as a, quote, disgrace, and vowed the perpetrators will be prosecuted. Mayor Anno Veldhauser confirmed the attack at a local council meeting on Monday, saying, quote, no one has the right to play judge and hand out physical punishment. Reports say a number of people burst into the home of the family, took the parents outside, and beat them up, leaving both with physical injuries. The family had only moved to the Dolphia area in Enskede four months ago. They have now been offered accommodation at another location.
0: But this isn't the first incident in this uh, particular part of Enschede, isn't it? No.
1: A few years ago, it was supposed to be the site of a refugee center. There were a lot of protests in the neighborhood. Um, Some of them were quite intense. Uh, But the center never materialized because the number of refugees coming to the Netherlands fell. So there was no longer a need for it. This isn't also the first violent attack
0: in this manner to happen recently. No. Is that there is some sort of trend going on. Yeah, well,
1: seems. a few months ago, so in March, there was a, a young Dutch Moroccan family in Urk, which is uh, a weird, <laughs> weird place. Um, Have you ever a, been there? Yeah, I've been there as yeah? well. It's oh. very strange. It's a fishing village in the north. It used to be an island. And then it was like sort of caught by the... By Flevoland. By Flevoland.
0: Which is the worst thing to be caught in <laughs> <Yeah>. with <laughs>
1: Um, in which a number of uh, young men, um, five have been arrested were surrounded uh, the home of this family um, they broke, they forced their way in they injured the mother and the son and the daughter um, so that was also yeah. a really ugly, Very ugly awful. moment yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: and it also sor- sort of stirred up all sorts of tensions um, in the country because yeah. it attracted a lot of uh, Moroccan nationals yeah. who w- sort of wanted to defend this family yeah. uh, and, and they all Went to Urk and the police had to you know, really yeah. do their best to uh, to prevent this from uh, escalating yeah, any further. Yeah, it's quite ugly. And yeah. also,
1: this incident in En-Sk- was quite ugly. Yeah.
0: After a 35 year pit stop, the Dutch Grand Prix is returning to the seaside circuit of Zandvoort starting next year. A date still has to be set for the race, but it's expected to be staged before the Monaco Grand Prix at the end of May. The estimated cost is 40 million euros, half of which is uh, Liberty Media's fee. So it's a good deal for someone. Liberty Media. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Not for me. The Dutch government refused to invest any money in the project. But some a Town Council is spending 4 million euros after it secured assurances that a race that consumes stupendous quantities of fossil fuels would be as green as possible. This
1: is absurd. It is, yeah
0: maybe they maybe they mean uh, the color green of the the Heineken yeah, bottles I that's, that's uh, the main sponsor I think the, that's the only thing yeah not everyone is delighted by the prospect of a Grand Prix racing at Zandvoort. However, real company NS says it has serious concerns about the logistics of transporting one hundred thousand racegoers to the dunes.
1: I I also have serious concerns about this. There's only two roads in and out of Zandvoort, so yeah. you're really stuck. Like, there's yeah. not a whole lot of great transportation options.
0: No, the only the only option is uh, going by train. Yeah, uh, or by bus or anything but yeah, yeah I, I still cycling. can't see they, cycling they they said
1: a couple of weeks ago that they were going to uh refuse to sell tickets to people that came by car in an effort to keep like the car situation from being a disaster but in that way bad. it is green yeah i guess in that way it's green yeah uh, but, but,
0: but you can drive to Harlem and then get a train and then uh, yeah, exactly. uh, go to Zandvoort
1: In something that was not green, uh, Ajax had a had a uh, celebration yesterday. So is does that mean football season is <laughs> over?
0: <laughs> More or less, uh, Ajax wrapped up the league title this week to go with the cup they won two weeks ago to end a five-year trophy drought. The only challengers, PSV lost uh, 1-0 to Asset Alkmaar on Sunday. And that meant uh, Ajax's last match at the Graafschap on Wednesday night was a formality. The team that came within an eight of the Champions League final will be broken up in the summer Frankie de Jong is off to Barcelona Matthijs de Ligt could well be joining him although other clubs are in the hunt as well including Liverpool and Juventus Hakim Ziyech is said to be close to a deal with Bayern Munich and uh, David Neres uh, could be off to Paris uh, Paris Saint-Germain so next year they'll have to regroup and rebuild as they always do because uh, yeah that's, what that's they, how football and, works that's how football works especially um, Ajax football
1: yeah so uh, the Ajax players were all wearing uh, number 34 what was up with that?
0: Um, it's Ajax's uh, 34th league title, but more significantly, 34 is the squad number of uh, Apinuri uh, who came uh, through the youth setup with De Jong and De Ligt and was an extremely promising midfielder. Uh, However, he suffered permanent brain damage after collapsing during a friendly match in Austria two weeks, two years ago, uh, when he was still only 20 years old and uh, he will never play again. So it is a very, very sad story. Um, De Jong said after the game that he dedicated the match to the team, the coach and to Appi and his family.
1: Yeah, there's been a lot of... uh controversy between ajax and the the uh nori family and how that whole thing has like played out
0: yeah because uh, uh yeah some say that ajax uh, was responsible the ajax doctor should have noticed uh what was wrong with him and yeah. should al- have allowed him to to play yeah um yeah so yeah that's um yeah a very awful story yeah it's a uh, really terrible best, tragedy though. yeah
1: Amsterdam will not be banning drinking on boats, while the Hague will not be participating in marijuana cultivation. Amsterdam's mayor, Femke Halsmann, has dismissed the idea of banning alcohol from boats on the city's canals, saying the suggestion is, quote, undesirable. Last week, a majority of city councillors voted to ask city officials to investigate the possibility of a ban as a way of furthering reducing problems on the waterways. Meanwhile, the Hague has followed Amsterdam and decided not to take part in the government's experiment with regulated marijuana cultivation, saying the plan is unworkable. Quote, we consider the conditions are not sufficiently practical. End quote. That's according to Hague's mayor, uh, Paulina Krika. The decision was based on conversations with licensed coffee shop owners in the city. Their lack of support is a clear signal, Krika said. Uh,
0: so they are saying that it's impractical, even though there are multiple around the globe that show that it is very practical, very profitable as well. Yeah,
1: I think the concern... And they asked the
0: coffee shop holders what their opinion is who obviously do not want to cooperate with this and based on that, they say, let's yeah. not do this.
1: So I wrote a, like a really big article for the outline last year about this um, and basically the complaint from the coffee shop owners was essentially that they had... The government had approved something like 10 strains to be grown and sold. Um, and the coffee shop owners were saying, one, we sell more than that. And two, we don't think that the government's um, plan can keep up, can meet the demand um, of what is, of what we need to to put forward. Um, and that they all seemed pretty on board with the idea that like this front door, back door policy where it's legal to purchase marijuana from the coffee shops, but the coffee shops are actually breaking the law when they buy their supply um, is bad, but like, this was not the solution. Um, So Amsterdam opted out years ago. But doesn't
0: this just mean that the government has to grow more plants?
1: Um, (laughs) You would think so. I don't have a solution for this. I mean, one of the other things that people were pointing out is is that, like, this is going to encourage corporations to get involved in marijuana cultivation and that, like, you're going to end up with big... uh, companies that are participating in this and that like it's going to be foreign companies and not Dutch companies. I I was not particularly sympathetic to any of these arguments. I'm just putting them forward. This is just what they told me for the article. So yeah, I mean, I think it's a kind of a bit of a blow to this marijuana experiment because now both Amsterdam and The Hague have opted out. Um, So we'll see. Although on the other hand, maybe the people working on the experiment would be happy to have Mostly some smaller cities participating because yeah, that yeah, seems like a more yeah, controlled yeah, environment.
0: Yeah, exactly, and a better way to start up the uh, the process, perhaps. And that's true, but uh, are these uh, two things uh, related in any way? No,
1: I just wanted to be this week's drinks and drugs correspondent.
0: A nationwide strike by public transport workers is taking place next Tuesday, May twenty eighth. Regional bus drivers this week said they would join the stoppage, which also involves train drivers and bus and tram drivers in Amsterdam, Rotterdam and The Hague. Bus services will still be running in Utrecht and Gelderland and in Lelystad. I guess it's a good reason (laughs) to live in (laughs) Lelystad. I don't know why we would mention Lelystad. The strike is in support of the union's campaign to freeze the state pension age at 66. At the moment it's rising in three month increments and is due to reach 67 years and three months in 2024. The FNV union had planned on all out strike on March 28th, but this was abandoned in the wake of the terrorist attack on a bus in Utrecht 10 days earlier.
1: Yeah, this hasn't been the uh, the first strike that public transit union workers have had this year, right? Or recently?
0: No, and that's uh, pretty atypical for the Netherlands. Uh, if you ever travel to Brussels or to France or whatever, France. then you know that uh, that, that's, yeah. that happens almost every week there. Um, but it follows the breakdown of long-running talks between the government and unions over the pensions. Uh, reform the cabinet wants to safeguard the pension funds for the long term and say that means uh, raising the pension age in line with life expectancy potentially to 71 by 2060 which is quite old that's quite old yeah yeah. the unions uh, say no it should be kept at 66 even though that would cost billions more uh, there was a 66-minute strike by transport workers on the morning of March 18th. We also mentioned that on the podcast, yeah. I believe, um, uh, which also saw some uh, go-slow demonstrations by the police. Engineering and construction workers have called an all-out strike next Wednesday, May 29th, uh, which the FMF wants uh, other sectors uh, to join in.
1: Yeah, this, uh, the pension age thing, I think, is a difficult uh, problem to find a solution for. So I suspect we're going to see some more uh, more strikes while this continues to get resolved.
0: Yeah, I I never understand anything about pensions.
1: Well, I mean, the argument is... That's because you're a child, Paul. You don't think (laughs) about retirement yet. I mean, the argument basically is essentially people are living longer. And so if they live longer... Uh, you have to support them in their pension age longer.
0: Which makes sense, I think.
1: Right. Um. So part of the way that you offset some of those costs is by keeping people in the workforce for a longer period, right? So this is like raising the retirement age. Yeah. Um, but a lot of these the organizations that are striking these are people who represent like people who do a lot of physical labor which means that like working into their 70s which might be fine for a university professor just to sit behind a desk all day it's not quite so easy for no if you're a road worker or, yeah. or something
0: else yeah that and makes sense. there's
1: also a bit of a discussion about how much quality of life you have after this time because you know if you um if you're a if you have a relatively healthy, say 20 years from when you retire to when you die, that's, you know, all well and good. But there's a lot of people for whom, you know, they may live till they're 90, but they spend, you know, the years, uh, an entire decade basically yeah. being sick. And so if you, you know, if, they, if that continues, then, you know, you retire at 71, as they're predicted to do in 2070, but you still die at 100. But 20 of those years, are you just sort of like being in an old folks home, then you really don't have any time to actually enjoy your retirement. No, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's a complicated problem.
0: It is. Yeah.
1: What is not a complicated problem, though, (laughs) is uh, dealing with uh, Dutch eating habits. Because filet American must be frozen for a period of 48 hours to be safe for consumption. That's according to the Food Safety Board, RIVM. They issued a warning about this this week. Filet American is the Dutch uh, bread spread, broja spread, um, which is made of raw ground beef. Freezing it to a temperature of minus 12 would kill toxoplasmosis parasites that might be living in the raw meat. Those cause infection affecting hundreds of people every year. That's also according to RIVM. Cancer patients and pregnant women are particularly vulnerable. infection can lead to premature birth eye disease and brain malformation <laughs> do you freeze your filet American, paul <laughs>
0: no i don't eat filet American I don't because it i don't like it it's what you get when you combine dutch american and french cuisine which in is one, all terrible which is all terrible except for why is trick. it called filet American? i have no
1: idea because we don't eat this stuff at all in america like even like tartare which is much more common i think here and of course in france yeah. is like basically not eaten at all in america so interesting i don't know why they call it that
0: yeah but uh who should freeze this is this consumers or is this the, the one who produces it i think or it, they're
1: referring to consumers so they want people to stick it in the freezer for two days before i um, mean it's yeah it's really it it's sort of interesting we got a lot maybe of maybe like... if
0: you have to freeze your food for 48 hours before you can safely eat it did. you shouldn't buy this. yeah you shouldn't
1: buy it in the first place uh <laughs> that i think is my sort of suggestion we did get a lot of pushback on the facebook page when we posted this of people being like oh this is just overreactions and this kinds of stuff but actually like this infection it, like uh, lots of people get infected with toxoplasmosis not yeah, always from people yeah. yeah not just from filet American, but also from anything with like a sort of undercooked Um, meat this parasite can exist in them and that it can cause like serious problems and even death in people who are immunocompromised yeah but
0: usually when you buy meat it's meant to be you know cooked cooked yeah and this is meant to be eaten raw raw, so that means that the 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 the, producer
1: should perhaps do something about this yes
0: and but the actual danger of getting this parasite from eating this is is of course significantly higher than you buy meat that's supposed to be cooked
1: yeah i mean i think um don't eat this shit would be my advice no i
0: i i fully agree with that yeah Yeah. and if
1: you're gonna eat it and you're immunocompromised or pregnant then you should freeze it first that's my uh, Mm, that's i think the takeaway let's do that
0: we'll be discussing next week's european elections after this word from our sponsor
1: actually we won't be discussing them no. Gordon and I are going to be discussing yeah. them because like magic you are going to disappear and Gordon is going to
0: reappear <laughs> funny how that works I know yeah.
1: only I could be the one that disappears
0: <laughs> hey you you listening to the podcast for free we're really glad you all like our OpF coverage and Dick Laureate jokes but it costs money to bring them to your ears if you have a few extra bucks and you would like to support the work we do you can now back us on Patreon go to patreon.com slash Dutch News NL to donate we will give a shout out to all our backers on the podcast if you donate 50 euros, Gordon will dedicate the next podcast to his love of lavender stroopwafels. For 75 euros, Molly will watch one entire football match. And for the low, low, low amounts of 100 euros, I will vote for the socialist party in the next election. So please go to patreon.com dutchnewsNL to support us and keep Truby fed, which is very important. Next week, voters across
2: the European Union are going to the polls to elect the next European Parliament including, possibly for the last time, voters in the United Kingdom. Historically, politicians have always struggled to stir up much enthusiasm for these elections, with the exception of anti-EU parties who see them as a chance to stage a protest. With Brexit somewhere on the horizon and the anti-EU party Forum for Democracy looking to repeat its success in their provincial elections, will this year's campaign be more of the same, or will the pro-EU parties benefit from anti-populist backlash, and what's at stake anyway?
1: So Gordon, can you start by telling the listeners how European Parliament works
2: uh yeah altogether there are 751 seats in the european parliament and the netherlands has 26 of them
1: yeah small small country, yeah. small uh, proportion i guess makes sense
2: exactly it's elected on the party list system that we use for all elections in the netherlands so proportional representation um the cu and SKP uh, have merged so they run on a joint ticket um so that's the two christian parties the two, two, christian, two the christian parties christian yeah parties. the christian union and the uh the orthodox testimonial uh, SKP. Uh, parties in the European Parliament also then form transnational blocks, so coalitions of lots of uh, different parties from different countries. So you have the centre-right EPP, European People's Party, that includes the CDA. You have the Socialist Group, which includes the PFDA. Um, you have the Liberals, which includes day and Dezestes They all sit next to each other.
1: Are we going to... Are we going to recognize any of, the, uh, any of the candidates that are standing in uh, the European elections? Uh,
2: not many. <laughs> not many people are familiar with the candidates. Um, the standout candidate is Franz Timmermans. We'll yep. talk about him a bit later. Other than that, you've got Mali Kasmani from the you see him on the news here occasionally. Esther de Lange of Cedia, who was deported from Venezuela recently. There's a bit of op about that. Jan Epping, a former for the democracy. He's been popping up uh, quite a bit. He was previously a Flemish MEP, because one of the curiosities of the European elections is you can stand in another European country.
1: Yeah, which uh, leads me to our 10 questions interview of the week, who is a De Sessa candidate, uh, Raquel Garcia, Hermanda van der Valle. I mm-hmm. hope. Sorry, Raquel, if I'm mispronouncing yeah. your last name, but she has a Spanish passport, but is running as a Dutch MEP.
2: Yes, on the Datasen ticket. So we'll link to the interview that we did with her in our, in the liner notes uh, for Dutch news. Uh, yeah. Hopefully, I'd raise her profile
1: a little bit. She seems. Uh, she seems like a nice person. She's like a
2: decent person. Uh, the Data uh, leader is uh, Sophie and There's some OPF about her recently because she lives in Brussels, but uh, and claims expenses to travel all the way to Brussels from Brussels, uh, and uh, doesn't and doesn't pay tax in the Netherlands either.
1: Man, lots of these uh, politicians. With their questionable expense clients, huh? Yeah,
2: uh, and of course there is, as you say, Franz Timmermans of the PFADR, who the PFADR, he's uh, on the PFADR posters, they see him as an asset. Uh, he's currently vice president of the European Commission, uh, but he's got ambitions to succeed his boss, Jean-Claude Juncker, because his term is finishing in November, so he's been taking part in TV debates, he's gone out on the campaign trail and generally been working quite hard to raise his profile. He's seen as an asset by his party, but other parties uh, also see him as kind of a target uh, the SP... Um, Made a, a TV advert about him, or sort of, about ostensibly him. about him. Yeah. Um, that that's uh, caused a lot of uh, kerfuffle, and again, we'll talk about that a bit later.
1: Yeah, he's mostly uh, he sort of rose to to prominence after his MH17 speech before the UN.
2: Yeah, he gave a very impassioned speech in front of the UN in the wake of the MH17 disaster, where he was calling for you know a thorough investigation and justice for the victims. Though that also caused a bit of ophef because uh, one of the point, one of the things he said in that speech. Was he, he used the image of um, the vi- despairing victims grabbing at the oxygen masks uh, as as the plane went down? But the, the experts later said that they would have fallen unconscious so fast that they wouldn't have had time to grab the oxygen masks.
1: Wow, I guess good for the I Yeah, good. Victims. They didn't
2: suffer in that way. But less good for Timmermans because yeah. it's, he was uh, portrayed as a, you know, a politician who kind of embellished the truth for you know the, the, um, for rhetorical effect.
1: Um, so what are like the sort of parties' positions and stuff?
2: Yeah, European politics is always quite dry. In You know, the the issues tend to focus on things like uh, the environment and uh, renewable energy, uh, which are all important, but very hard to stir up any real sort of... passionate feelings about. So uh, a lot of the big debates tend to be the balance between the nation states and the European Union itself in Brussels. So the, centre- the right-wing parties, like the day they tend to be parties of small governments, so they argue that Europe should be very small and only really be there for the issues where international cooperation is essential, like global security or uh, environmental measures. On the other hand, a party like the FFDA, for example, will say that no European cooperation should be strengthened and it needs to, you know, have, a, it needs to be more things like uh, they want to do away with vetoes in lots of areas. At the moment European, most European countries and certainly the bigger European countries have a veto in most issues so if uh, you know, a country like Germany or Britain, well for not much longer, but you know, or, or France decides that they, they they totally disagree with the position then they can just block any measure that uh, the other 27 countries have come up with together. There's also the question of how the money is distributed in yeah. Europe, that's always a big thing the northern states tend to argue they pay too much uh, to prop up the southern nations whereas on the other hand a country like Greece uh, feels that it's been punished too harshly through th- European austerity measures um, for um, yeah, and, and, and its suffering as a result of that. So that's an ongoing tension between European countries. There's also uh, the, uh, VOLT, which is a pan-European party that's that's been founded for these elections, basically. And they stand out as being very in favour of more and closer European integration, whereas the mainstream European parties have tended to rest- retreat from that position of ever closer union. Volts have argued that it should be a st- stronger central European government uh, that can then actually be an effective counterweight to, say, the US and China in foreign policy which is an area that european union has always struggled to make much of an impact on the world stage
1: they have a good name party name
2: vault's a good name yeah, yeah. and then of course you had the eurosceptic parties like the payfefe they want to quit the eu and go back to the gilda as well
1: and generally the dark ages they generally
2: want to go backwards yeah and forum for democracy which uh, likes european culture but hates european politics and doesn't really see how those two positions might be contradictory
1: yeah that's us for you Speaking of Cherry Baudet, yeah. uh, him and Mark Rutte had, had a had a bit of a dust-up this week.
2: Yeah, this is the only thing you really care about in these elections. I mean, it. it's
1: very entertaining, I think.
2: <laughs> it has been good entertainment. It's come a bit out of left field, I have to say. And Rutte just popped up with this in a press conference uh, during the week on Wednesday. But In the past, he's tended to take very much a back seat at European elections. He hasn't really seen them as a priority because he's personally historically being quite a kind of, you know, reluctant partner or soft Eurosceptic. Um, but this week he popped up with his speech, where which was pretty much a direct attack on Bode, uh, accusing him of uh, dreaming up this um, Nexit uh, idea uh, by flickering candlelight. And he said it sounds poetic, but in reality it would be disastrous. And quite explicitly labelled for the Nexit party, so he clearly feels that being anti-Brexit and anti-Nexit is a strong position for his party to take, an area where forum may maybe vulnerable. He said with all the unrest in the world, we don't want to plunge the Netherlands into the same chaos as Brexit. And then, of course, challenged Bode to a TV debate, which Bode said he didn't want it on TV, he wanted it on Facebook, as we've already discussed. I think it's striking that Ritter went for a personal attack. Uh, he's tended to avoid that in the past with Geert Wilders. He's always said he doesn't want to pounce on every lump of uh, raw meat that Wilders throws into the political arena. But in this case, he obviously saw that uh, making it a personal matter with uh, the uh, w- w- was the way to go. And he also kind of took up the position of being. And although he's obviously the lead party government of being an opposition party, saying that Forum is now the biggest party in the Netherlands. So I think this is kind of a long-term move by Rutte. who's always a very strategic politician. And he sees that Forum is potentially a big threat to his party because, of course, it's trying to occupy that right-wing, centre-right ground that uh, the Fever Day has made its own over the last decade.
1: But do you think that he went on this attack because Rutte is angling for a European Union job when he's done with his last term as prime minister?
2: Yeah, that is the rumour that, of course, refuses to go away. However much Rutte denies that he's fishing for a top job, in Brussels, Rutte, of course, will, will continue to insist that he's got no interest in a job in Brussels. Of but of course, you know, when Juncker or particularly Donald Tusk um, uh, finishes their terms, uh, it may be a different story.
1: Uh, has there been a lot of negative campaigning? It feels like there's been a lot of negative campaigning this year.
2: Uh, I think definitely by the standards of a Dutch campaign, there's been a lot of ne- negative campaignings. So the S. P. had this um, film we mentioned a little while ago about um, Franz Timmermans. About France Timmermans. Well, yeah, and so they had this character Hans Brusselmans, which is a very thinly veiled caricature of
1: France Timmermans,
2: Timmermans um, who is this self-satisfied chuckling fat cat bureaucrat I mean mm-hmm. literally stuffing his mouth with cream cake it was really quite sort of a bit creepy yeah <laughs> that that uh, sparked a lot of uh, op and and uh, Timmermans uh, had
1: a good uh, good response fairly sharp
2: response from Timmermans who just basically said uh, look come up with some ideas rather than just slinging mud at me
1: but they weren't the only ones SP wasn't the only ones that put out a creepy video
2: yeah because the fefe Dave stuck a film up on Twitter which was um, again another direct attack on Thierry Baudet, um with literally had with you know some sort of cartoon eyes and a bulging heart uh, aimed at um, uh, Russia and uh, trying to depict him as a Russian stooge Mm -hmm. and doing all that kind of cutting and pasting of... um debates from the Trader Karma and clipping it and putting it into a two-minute video.
1: So, does anyone care about these elections? Because I feel like nobody cares.
2: It's kind of a good question. I mean, there was a poll by INO recently which uh, showed that six out of ten people didn't know who the main candidate was for their party of choice. So, I mean, Timmermans had very good recognition. He was a standout candidate. 69% of people recognised him. it felt 26 percent. But then after that, I mean, none of the candidates, uh, the European Parliament candidates get more than 10 percent.
1: Did they compare that to how many people know who they were voting for in, say, the provincial elections or national elections?
2: Uh, I don't think they did that particularly, but yeah, for the Trader Camera elections, you tend to know who the the party leaders are. But some of the MPs further down the list are often quite anonymous.
1: So because I do feel like people vote for a party as opposed to, like, the politician. So I wonder, like, how much disinterest that actually, like, sort of shows, I guess? Yeah,
2: that's true, but then if you look at the turnout for European yeah. elections, like, I mean, last uh, European election that was in 2014, only 37% of people voted. Uh, the polls suggest that that figure might go up a little bit this time, uh, as uh, for maybe into the low 40s, 45%, something like that, but still, it's it's fairly low compared to, say, trade camera elections, where it went up and in, into the high 70s last time.
1: I think one of the things that I think is interesting about the seeming, like, apathy toward these elections is, is that you hear people frequently say, oh, it's unelected bureaucrats in Brussels, and they're making all the decisions for us in our own countries. But actually, the European Parliament has like a lot more power, and they're elected. I mean, so if you're unhappy with what the EU is doing, you can vote to change that.
2: Well, exactly. And the European Parliament has acquired more powers over the last decade or so. So it now has a say on a range of issues, not just things like environment and consumer protection, but also immigration, justice. It's not so powerful on foreign policy, where the decisions are basically still made by the Council of Ministers. We tend to find Europe is strongest generally in those areas where the Parliament is its strongest, where it's got the most say. So, for example, things like abolishing the roaming charges for mobile phones so that you no longer have to pay extra to use your phone in other European countries. That was all driven by the European Parliament. The problem is that that the Parliament is really bad at its own PR and actually uh, promoting its own achievements so that when the roaming charges were abolished, all the mobile phone companies put out adverts suggesting that this was their idea and their initiative actually wasn't. It was done. It was done under pressure from the European Parliament. Oh
1: will there be more pressure on eu elections this year because british people apparently are going to get to vote twice
2: <laughs> yeah this is a curious thing which is just kind of yeah incompetence uh, on yeah all, all round there's there's been well two problems with res- registration the first is that um a lot of people here in the netherlands from other eu countries uh, seemingly aren't registered to vote because they didn't realize they had to because this time around mun- municipalities said that you had to actually Apply actively to vote in yeah. the European elections, and which I, is
1: different from how you do it in normal Dutch elections, where your stamp pass just shows up. Yeah, in the Yeah, usually
2: it just comes through in the post, and I mean the, the um, apparently there's been a rule. Apparently, there's been a, a law in force since 1999 that you have to register separately. But it seems that in a lot of municipalities, they just sent out your your voting pastures yeah. anyway. This time, uh, they haven't done that, and a lot of people didn't realise until it was too late. Yeah. Now, I know in the Hague, uh, I, I got a letter from the from the mayor saying, you know, you, you must register to vote in these elections. But seemingly, in other places, it didn't happen. Sixty thousand people who are citizens of other EU countries uh, have registered. Um, but uh, yeah, there's a question of how many. Um, Uh, are not going to be taking part. Uh, The other thing, of course, is, as you say, lots of British voters are now registered. Well, I mean, from my own experience, I I was sent a letter back, I think, in about February from Glasgow City Council, which is where I used to live, uh, asking if I wanted to be included on the electoral register because uh, they basically update the register every year, regardless of whether or not there's an election taking place. But then at that stage, it wasn't clear. In fact, it looked unlikely that there would be any elections to the European Parliament in the UK. Um, Then, um, after the Brexit deal was announced and it turned out that British citizens... Would still be living in the EU when the elections took place, so therefore we would get a vote. And then had to decide very quickly to register in The Hague, and then after that, it turned out that there were going to be elections in the UK as well. At which point, I was already re- I was already registered in the in in Glasgow, so I now ended up with two votes. So will you be using both of them? I will you? not be using both of them because I don't want to commit a criminal offence under electoral law. No. Will you give me the <laughs> extra ballot
1: so I can use it instead?
2: Uh, what's it worth?
1: Uh, at least one <laughs> lavender strobe waffle. No. So you will be voting, though, but you're going to be voting here in the Netherlands. Yeah,
2: I'm going to be voting here in the Netherlands. There's been a bit of uh, chat about this. Uh, some people um, in the uh, British expat community uh, say that they want to vote uh, in, in Britain to like send out a message about how fed up they are with Brexit. But I kind of think, you know, I'm fed up with, personally, with just people using elections and European elections, particularly for, like, protest and symbolic votes. I would rather, as dull as it sounds, I I kind of want to show... That I take European politics seriously by voting for an MEP who is going to serve a full five-year term and actually turn up in the parliament and sit on committees and make a difference in European politics. I see that as the future, and not just having somebody who you vote for, but then is not going to have any meaningful participation in um, in European politics.
1: So basically, you want to vote for Steph Block.
2: I want to vote for 26 Steph Blocks. Oh, that God, be that would be my ideal
1: scenario. Yeah, that sounds like a Doctor Who nightmare. <laughs> um, yeah. So we will uh, we'll update people uh, following the elections, and we will uh, keep people up to date as yep. to uh, to mm-hmm. what all turns out next week with the results
2: that come in next week that's all we have for you this week this podcast is a production of dutch news which can be found online at dutchnews.nl we'll include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes and you can get in touch with us by email to podcast.dutchnews.nl if you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating, and you can also now back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash We'll be eternally grateful to you, we'll give you a free shout-out on the podcast, and you can ask us a question if you fancy. My thanks to Molly Quell, not to Paul Paters. No, you got to thank Paul Paters now. Oh yeah. no, yeah. actually, no, you've got to thank Paul Paters. My thanks to Molly Quell and special thanks to Paul Paters. I'm Gordon Derek, and we'll be back next week.